The last several messages we have been taking a look at the Ten Commandments, or as in our modern day culture, the Ten Suggestions. And we have seen, as I keep repeating, that the actions prohibited or required of us are not prohibited or required of us because the commands say so, but they were wrong to do or not to do, and that's why they were the commands. And God is going to follow up the Ten Commandments with a number of ordinances. And um, as thrilled as I know that you are about getting into the meat of all of these different ordinances, I'm going to disappoint you, and I'm going to really flash over a couple. I'm going to concentrate on a couple. I'm going to mention a couple because sometimes our culture kind of has them messed up. But I find it interesting, right after God has given the Ten Commandments, he reiterates something, not in a form of command, but a warning. And he warns them over and over again, which must mean that they have a problem with it. If you have no problem with telling the truth, I don't have to keep telling you, don't tell a lie, don't tell a lie, don't tell a lie. If you're a congenital liar, I might have to keep telling you, don't tell a lie, don't tell a lie, don't tell a lie. So we're going to see what seems to be, unfortunately, at the heart of God's people's problem. And so in chapter 20 of Exodus, starting with verse 22, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourself. It seems that Israel has a problem. And as Jesus and others have said, the greatest commandment of the scriptures is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That's the command. And yet God keeps warning his people, stop going after other gods. Stop making other gods. And in our culture, we say, well, you know, we, we bar barely believe in one God if, if our culture does. So we don't do that. Well, yes, we do. We have a God. It's called me. Everything that I want is about me. I am the center of the universe. And the sooner that you get to realize that, the happier you'll be. But that's how all of us think. We are the center of the universe. All you have to do is go shopping. Watch people when there's thousands of people around them stop dead in their tracks. As if nobody else was in the mall. Because it's all about them. And so yeah, we don't maybe make gods of silver and gold. We make gods of me. And God keeps warning us, don't do that. Because that's the serious problem. So he warns them, and in verse 24, you shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones, for if you wield your tools on it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. So just because you claim that it's worship doesn't make it so. 
God says that there are, if you will, certain rules related to worship. Part of that is when he's talking about the altar. Pagan altars oftentimes were made of cut stones and they would do certain things and ornate them. And God says, you are to be separate. You are to be holy. My altars are not to be like the pagan altars. And I don't want you going up on a bunch of steps because back then they wore tunics and those types of things. And if you stepped up, you might reveal things that you shouldn't reveal. And God says, I don't want that. Just because you call it worship doesn't make it worship. It may be profaned unless you do it and come to me as a holy God. Now we're going to go to the fun part, the ordinances. Now, if you have your bulletin, you will see that there are a number of laws on a number of different topics, starting with the laws related to slaves. I'm not going to read any particular thing. Now, I know some of you might think, well, wait a minute, that's odd. Why would God talk about slaves? I mean, after all, Israel came from slavery. You would think he would abolish it. When Jesus came, there was still slavery, and Jesus didn't seek to abolish it. When Paul was writing his epistles, there was still slavery, and he didn't seek to abolish it. Oftentimes, what we want to do is we want God to affect institutions. And what God is affecting is you and me. And if he has our heart and our minds then our institutions will change. But he does say that we are to treat the people who become slaves differently than those who have done it in the past. And as a matter of fact, in the laws, once you become a slave, you are not a permanent slave. After six years, you were to be set free. It was not a permanent situation. Then there are laws related to homicide, murder, one of the commands, you're not supposed to commit murder. Now, it's interesting that it says that he, in, in chapter uh, Exodus 21, verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God lets him fall into his hands, then he will appoint you a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. What this law says is murder is, the punishment for murder is death. However, if you will, if it was a lesser, it wasn't premeditated, it wasn't uh, those types of things, then God, when the people were going to enter the land, would set up what are called sanctuary cities. Kind of familiar in our world today. And in these sanctuary cities, if you had killed someone by accident or at least not premeditated, you could escape to that city and you could live there the rest of your life. Now, the state didn't get involved. It was the family of the deceased who got involved. And they could pursue you and kill you. But if you escape to this, this city, then 
then you were free unless you stepped outside. Except if it were premeditated. And in that case, as the scripture says, you could even be holding on to an altar and they could take you out. And then one of the ones that our uh, society you'll hear is related to bodily injuries. And we'll find that in Exodus 21, uh, starting with verse 22. You've heard it said that the scripture says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that that's kind of really harsh and justice and whatever. And that's all the Old Testament talks about is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There are basically two types of provisions that talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The other one that, that I'll just mention is if you have a slave and you knock out his eye, he gets to go free. If you knock out his tooth, he gets to go free. But the eye for an eye everybody wants to, to talk about, this is the law. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with a child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as a woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. There is a procedure, if you will. The husband says, you injured my wife. You had the baby prematurely. There wasn't a lot of injury. I think that's worth $10,000. And the judge says, well, you know, I agree with you. It's 10000 or it's $50 or whatever the judges decide. But there is a proceeding. However, but if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for boon, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This is about what happens to what we call the fetus and what I will call the child. If the child is injured while men are fighting with each other, then there is a penalty and that is the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it is not the general realm of justice. It's related to the sanctity of the unborn child. Another one I want to bring up is in chapter 23, verse 6. And it says this, You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. What is this saying? This is saying, you do not put your thumb on the scale for the poor. You're not supposed to put your thumb on the scale for the rich, and you're not supposed to put your thumb on the poor for the poor. You are to allow justice to be justice regardless of who comes before it. If you will, it's equal justice under the law. Boy, it's kind of amazing. Some of the basic tenets of our foundation of laws we can find here in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 23, it also talks about the holy days. In our church, we used to celebrate them more uh, than we do now. We'd make special services for all seven, but in the initial part, because they haven't yet got to those, there are three holy days that 
the scriptures tell us that all the men, wherever they may reside, are to go to worship at the temple or at the tabernacle. And those three times of, of year are unleavened bread, which we call Passover, the, the time of the giving of the law, Pentecost, and then also which will be called booze or the Feast of Weeks with the ingathering to celebrate the finalization of the harvest. And the Lord says, there are three holy days that everyone, all the men are to go to worship me at a particular place. Just as an aside, two of those three have been fulfilled, not only by the shadow, but by the reality. Passover. Jesus is our Passover lamb. On Pentecost, the law was given and the spirit was given. The third one is the Feast of Booths and that we look forward to when Jesus returns and sets up his millennial kingdom. And the last one that I want to mention is one that you hear me talk about a lot. And that's found in chapter 23, verse, uh, the second part of, um, well, 19, the second part of 19. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Now, in Jewish custom... To avoid doing this, you can't have a milkshake with a hamburger or a cheeseburger. They don't want you violating this. Now, as I look at this, I see it talking about a goat and milk of a goat. I don't see milk of a cow. I see milk of a goat and a goat. So why would the Lord require this? I think that there are three reasons, and I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. One of the three may be correct, or all three may be correct. First, it just seems inappropriate to cook something in what was sustaining its life. The goat, a young goat, matures on the nourishment of its mother. And yet, to cook it in such a way just seems inappropriate, unethical, just bad conduct. That might be one reason. The second reason may be that if a young goat is still in the process of receiving nourishment from its mother, it's too young to eat. And we are to wait for that. The third possibility, and I think this may be the real reason, is that it is in the context of worship, and it is in the context of sacrifice, and it is in the context of bringing forth your offering. And it seems that the Canaanites and others would do a similar ritual where they would take a young goat and its mother's milk, boil it, 
and then use that stew and pour them on various items so that it might create a sense and a, a fertility. They would sacrifice it to their fertility gods. And God is saying, I don't want you anywhere near that kind of conduct. My worship is not to be that way. It's not a, I am not a God of fertility. I'm a God of blessing. But if I go eat a cheeseburger today, I suspect I have not violated this passage. Now, God has given them a number of commands. And I give you an opportunity to, to read them and, and study them and, and, and enjoy them. But at the end, God then says this after these ordinances, starting with verse 20. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. So God is saying, in essence, I am going to send an angel. Now, the problem with the word angel is when we think of angel, we think of Cupid. Or we think of, of um, some you know, thing with a harp. But angel means messenger. So it could be an angel of the Lord in the sense of like Gabriel or Michael or something. Or it could simply be a messenger. But he's sending this messenger and he is going to prepare the way. Because God has already decided that he is fulfilling his promise by giving him the land. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him for he will not pardon your transgressions. Since my name is in him. I'm saying, you need to watch out. I have been really, really permissive with you. You have sinned. You've disobeyed. I've forgiven. He not so much. Obey his voice. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say... Notice angel doesn't mean necessarily a winged creature with a harp. It means a person who is delivering God's message. And so when the angel speaks, God is speaking because it's God's words. So, but if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will be an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. Notice who is going to do all of this work. God, not Israel. It is God who is going to give them the land if they obey his voice. And then notice what he follows that up with. I'm going to do this. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among them who you come among whom you come, and I will make all of your enemies 
turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites before you. So again, he says, and he warns them, don't serve their gods. I'm going to give you the land. Destroy. Don't syncretize what they're doing with what you do. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people or my own possession. Do not take what they do and try to mold it into a new religion. Worship me alone. Totally destroy their form of worship. Again, it's the command, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any graven images. Pretty clear. And yet he keeps repeating and repeating, don't follow other gods. Now, I would like to ask them, I would like to ask you, and I would like to ask me. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? Now you can some 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 of the big ones like he gave me salvation. He gave me life. He allows me to breathe this moment. He's given me everything that I have. I, you, you can go through a whole lot of blessings. Next question. I'm going to ask this in a culture that hardly believes in one God. What have other gods done for you? What has a stone statue ever done for you? What has a silver statue ever done for you? What has a gold statue ever done for you? Has it ever answered your prayers? Has it ever given you anything? Why is it that our hearts want to wander off rather than cling to the God who has given us everything? And yet it seems to be a common theme of mankind. Here God keeps repeating, don't go after other gods. There is an old hymn that we sing. My heart is prone to wander. So bind it with cords. So God says, I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies. I'm going to be an adversary to your adversary. I'm going to give you the land. But he's going to give them a little game plan. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. God says, this is not going to be a microwave action. This is not going to be one day you don't have the land and the next day you do. That it is going to be a process. And God is going to give them the why. So many times we're always asking God, well, why God? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? So God is giving them the why. Because if I wipe them out all, the land is going to go into to disarray and wildness. And you're no longer going to be able to farm it and cultivate it. But if I allow you to, as you become fruitful and multiply and are able to inhabit the land, then the land will continue to be a land flowing with milk and honey. 
So God gives them a reason why it's not right now. And there are times when we ask God for things and we can't understand why it isn't right now. Sometimes he tells us. Sometimes he just says, trust and obey. I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of land into your hand and will drive them out before you. Again, notice, God is saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. I just want you to watch the power of God. And this is what you are to do. You shall make no covenant with them or with their God. I have made a covenant with you, the book of the covenant, this covenant that says, these are the ordinances, these are the laws of worship, these are the laws of society, these are the laws of interaction, interpersonal relationships, these are the laws, these are the things that you are to follow but you are not to follow after their gods and you are to make no covenant with them. And again, their gods aren't God. And the Bible narrative that is so appropriate at this time is when Elijah had a contest with a whole bunch of priests from the, their God. And he got up on a mountaintop. And Elijah says, okay, we're going to have a little contest. We're going to have some wood here. And a little water. And if your God is God, you call them out and have fire come down from heaven. And I love Elijah's reaction to this. Because they did what they did and nothing happened. So, so Elijah wasn't a, 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 a good winner. He started mocking them. He goes, well, maybe your God's deaf. Call out a little louder. Or maybe he's gone on a trip. And he just made fun of them. And nothing happened. Because guess what? Their God wasn't God. Then Elijah said, so that you might know, not only did he put a little water, he drenched the wood with water, so much that it overflowed. And God called down fire and not only consumed the wood, consumed those priests as well. Because our God is God. He is to be worshipped. He is to be served. And why is it that we always seem prone to wonder. So maybe you and I didn't meet like David. He says, Lord, created me a new heart, a clean heart. One that is a heart after you, not one prone to wonder. I don't need the warning day after day after day to follow other gods. To make contracts with other gods. But I will follow you. 
And I will follow you not because you give me stuff, but because you are God. And you are the God who is loving and merciful and one who has called me to be your child. Think of that. Our God has not just said, you do these things and I'll do these things and everything will be wonderful. God has called us into a special relationship. Not just to be his servants, but to be his children. Again, what other God has called you to be his son or daughter? You shall make no covenant with their God. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Yes, sin is sin. And yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. But not all sin is the same sin. The sin of going after other gods can cause terrible consequences for you and those around you. As Paul says, there are sins that are outside the body and there are sins of the body. But a sin that seems to totally integrate itself within our entire life is not following our God, but following the God of our choosing. And so the warning today is not so much to say, oh, I need to follow these laws or aren't these laws interesting? But to understand the chief and foremost law to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. We do that and the rest is much easier. But you can never commit an act of adultery. You can never commit an act of murder, even as defined by Jesus. But if you pursue other gods, things will be entirely it will rot all that you are. So no wonder God warns us over and 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 over again. Stay away. Worship me. Because our God is a God of justice. A God of mercy. 
And the great thing about our God is that once His Spirit has drawn us and we seek forgiveness, He forgives. We will see in your studies of other Old Testament books, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. Notice even when Israel commits these terrible sins that we're going to see in a few weeks, he's still a God who loves and forgives and is merciful. He is a God of justice. He is a God of mercy. He's not either or, he's both. The more we get to know the full characteristics of our God, the greater we can appreciate who he is and to love him more and to communicate who he is to a world that needs justice and a world that needs mercy and a world that needs love and a world that needs forgiveness and who better to tell that world of those qualities than people who have experienced them because you know who you are and you know who you are by even what God has called you to be And yet you know he's merciful and loving. It's not our failures that keep us from speaking. It's the fact that we don't appreciate his love and forgiveness and to communicate in this time the good news of great joy to all the people and all God's people said.